Welcome to AgTech 360, where we take a 360-degree view into emerging agriculture technologies of today and tomorrow. Our host, Adrian Percy, helps us to create robust dialogue among stakeholders in academia, industry, and extension, including researchers, growers, producers, and the overall agriculture sustainability community. AgTech 360 is brought to you by North Carolina State University, CIRSA, the Center of Excellence for Regulatory Science in Agriculture, and the Southern IPM Center. So this is Adrian Percy with AgTech 360. And today I'm actually traveling to the other end of the world to talk to Professor Jason Wargent, who is the Chief Science Officer for a really interesting company called Biolumic, and they're based out of a place called Palmerston North in New Zealand. And Jason, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Adrian. No, it's great to participate in the podcast all the way from New Zealand. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you're also a professor at Massey University. It would be really interesting to hear a little bit about your journey from the UK, where you're originally from, to New Zealand, and what you're doing now. Yeah, sure. I moved to New Zealand um, almost exactly 10 years ago with my wife and uh, our two daughters have been born in New Zealand since as well. Uh, It's been a really incredible 10 years since we've been in New Zealand. My backstory was that before we moved to New Zealand, I was a researcher and then a university junior academic uh, teaching around the plant science space. My particular discipline is that of plant photobiology or even more specifically, plant UV photobiology. So really understanding the responses of plants to UV and also those related stimuli or or different factors uh, like pests and diseases. I guess my life journey around becoming a scientist is, like for most of us, you didn't know you were going to be a scientist when you were very small, but maybe that's because you didn't really know what a scientist was. But maybe some of the flags were still there particularly around food. And I have always been a researcher who has been doing research that has been linked to crop production, uh, be it speciality crops or, or row crops. When I was growing up, for those who know about the English feature of allotments, which is a uh, sort of a community garden space where folks have a small plot of land, you know, usually no bigger than twice the size of someone's living room, and they grow crops on that piece of land for themselves. It's a throwback from um, some of the grow your own sentiments from World War II. But a lot of folks have kept those going in this, you know, grow to feed your family world that we live in a bit more these days. But I remember going to my uncle's allotment and just seeing this massive array of produce that he had growing in this little scrap of space. He's a great gardener. It's this well-ordered, manicured you know, proliferation of food. And he had these giant Atlantic giant uh, competition pumpkins growing at the back of the allotment. And I just remember going down there sometimes and being blown away by just all the food stuff that was there. I guess maybe the, the pumpkin thing was one of my first insights into the world of yield versus quality, or dare I say the trade-off of yield and quality. Massive pumpkins, but you'd never want to eat them. They were really just for winning competitions. I'm not sure if here in the States they have the concept of allotments, but I think you should call it urban agriculture. You were a, you were a pioneer in urban agriculture, which is yeah. maybe, you know, one, of the, one of the sexy movements right now here in the US. Yeah, yeah, definitely urban ag was being ingrained into me from quite a young age. I suppose, as was other features that, that make us likely to be scientists, you know, looking up at the sky and, and sort of questioning things. 
And I think I took that through my younger years. But when I started focusing on UV research, this was around 2001, 2002, which is around a time when we were still very much concerned about ozone depletion, thinning of the ozone layer in different parts of the world and the intrusion of higher levels of UV and the risk to humans, the risk to livestock, the risk to ecosystems and crop security. And that took me into this world of UV more from thinking about the bad stuff that could happen. What are the negative effects of a crop being exposed to high levels of UV? You know, much of the literature is still to this day filled with an understanding that if you overexpose crops to UV, you can start to cause damage quite easily. The, the trade-off, as I would describe it, between a sunburn in a human and a suntan, and that's very much true for plants. And that took me into this world. But as I went down this path, as I did my degrees into my PhD, and then afterwards, it was becoming more about a narrative that actually a lot of the, the mechanistic responses of plants, crops, and how they interact with their environment with UV, they're not about the downsides, but they're actually a plant's way of acclimating to an environment and putting the armor plating on to be strengthened and more productive, even in a normal environment with a small stimulus of UV. So this story occupied all of my uh, research degrees and beyond, and eventually we, we moved to New Zealand, a place that actually does have quite high UV levels naturally. Then we started this journey of, of what actually became Biolumic to actually commercialize the story of a, a measured duration of UV in a very specific way can induce very valuable traits in plants simply by sprinkling some light photons onto crops or seeds. So, so let's get into Biolumic in a second. And as you say, the, the, you know, the UV research story kind of led into that and this whole concept of photobiology, which I think is, is really fascinating. But just one question. I mean, you mentioned people associate UV with a lot of nefarious effects, particularly on human health. So when you started to realize that actually low doses or different recipes of UV light could be beneficial for plants, was that a controversial academic viewpoint at the time? Was, did that get you into conflict with other researchers? I think that the predominant narrative was that of damage. And to this day, it's, it's something that, that I, I still hear recurringly occasionally. I do believe, though, that the literature was starting to evolve at that point. So there was very few of us at that time who truly believed that UV could be an agronomic tool. At the time, it was very much focused around the use of manipulating light with, say, hoop houses over speciality crops. And that's actually how I started to segue into the research space even more. But there was an evolution taking place, even if it wasn't solely around the, the agronomic benefits. There was an evolution taking place in our molecular understanding of UV. It was only a few years later from when I was starting to get heavily into the discipline that colleagues such as Gareth Jenkins and Roman Ulm were discovering and confirming the identity of the only known specific UVB photoreceptor in plants, a protein called UVR8. So there was actually a lot happening. I don't know if it was evolution or revolution, maybe a pinch of both, but the understanding that there was this intrinsic molecular network of signaling that went way beyond stress. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was actually very acclimative in nature. If you look at some of the hallmark outcomes of, of triggering a UVR8-based signaling response in plants, it's around things that are much more related to acclimation than, than a, a deep stress response that's going to cause harm to a plant. And there are actually quite different networks that overlap in terms of plant signaling when it comes to UV. And that is quite a complex picture. Hence, when it, when it came more to how we might be able to exploit this, 
it needed quite a deep, somewhat complex approach, as simply as opposed to taking a UV researcher's fluorescent UV bulbs and just flicking them on over some plants and standing back to await the benefits. I think it was always clear to me, certainly when I came over to New Zealand, that a solution that would deliver something long-term, meaningfully valuable to agriculture would go beyond, you know, flicking a light switch on. Yeah. Jason, it's really interesting to see how the science has evolved in your understanding of it. And I think we, you've come up to, to the point now where you're actually in New Zealand at Massey University. I think one of the things that will be really interesting to, is to understand how you move from an academic setting to be the founder of a commercial company, you know, which is Biolumic, which we're going to talk about. So how did that process kind of happen? It happened over a period of time. I'd quite quickly arrived at Massey and started engaging with those in the agriculture industry in New Zealand, horticulture industry in New Zealand, the academic side of things in terms of research, but also ways in which we might be able to take potentially commercializable work from the UK that I was starting to get involved in and how we could actually turn that into some kind of agronomic solution. And I quite quickly was introduced to colleagues over the road from the university who were essentially running a tech spin-out incubator office. Uh, At the time, it was called the BCC. Now it's called the factory. And uh, they're still there in in Palmy to this day, helping um, ag tech companies to be able to develop their research and spin it out. When I connected with those guys, it wasn't actually clear at that time what Biolumics technology would be. What we had was, I'm a UV photobiologist. I believe there's agronomic benefits here that we've partially started to prove in previous work. What does that look like as a company? And this is always something that's interesting when it comes to startup companies. Sometimes folks could be quite surprised if they knew how undeveloped a particular product offering was at the time of inception. And for us, that was certainly the case. But after nine to 12 months of gestation, meeting with um, those guys over the road, I suppose for me personally, getting incredibly excited about the opportunities to really take your work into application and not for it to be perhaps more straightforwardly an academic output. That really intrigued me and I was very excited about that. And I think it, as with anything, there's a give and take. And for me, the give was my soul was prepared to start going down this journey of commercialization because I was very much motivated by it. I thought it was exciting. And so that took us to a point where Within 18 months, we had established a business plan for Biolumic, which was based on the burgeoning availability of UV LED technology. That was something that did not really exist when I left the UK. But by the time I'd been in New Zealand for a while, the very first UV LEDs were becoming more available, albeit they were hugely expensive and had only so many uh, burn hours compared to a typical visible light LED. The technology was new and still is new. But the arrival of that gave us an opportunity to say, well, actually, manipulating UV for agronomic gain may not be wholly exploitable by taking natural sunlight and using it, but actually by developing treatments of UV, treating seeds, treating plants first, and then um, moving on in the company's life to treating seeds as well. That became an opportunity through the arrival of more recent technology. So we really had this crossroads of I was in a place, New Zealand, where and at Massey, where I felt there was a lot of support for spin-out. There was a very supportive incubator office that wanted to encourage that. There was the arrival of the technology and there was the opportunity. So I think you do need those things to all be in the mix. And they certainly were by the time we got to early 2013, when we actually incorporated Biolumic. Fast forward then a little bit to today. 
the company is now well established, although I, I guess you would still call it an early stage company. Can you describe a little bit the, the commercial kind of setup then for, for actually making these UV treatments of seedlings or, or seeds, as you describe, and where are you in that whole process of ideation through to prototypes to actually, you know, getting products on the market? So Biolumix platform, anything in biology, you need a platform and you need a name for your platform. For us, that platform is, is photogenics. And our photogenics platform is based on developing, as we term them, UV recipes, UV treatments for seeds and for plantlets or seedlings where there is an element to their life cycle where they're being reared in, in control conditions. So they're being grown in a nursery, they're being transplanted into the field, or they're being raised in one greenhouse and moved to another, like tomatoes, for example. We are now moving these two development platforms of seed and seedling application through our development pipelines and from ideation to recipe fabrication to recipe validation to recipe commercialization with seedling treatments. This was the first part of the company's life, and that's what we took to market first. So we now have customers who are using seedling treatments. We apply the treatments. We started in leafy produce like lettuce. So that's where the company first entered the commercial space where we treat those seedlings, those plants go into the field and they're grown on to final yield. But we are still continuing to develop seedling applications. And we've moved into other higher value crops more recently. So we've been developing great data sets in strawberries where we treat cuttings or runners. They then get grown on as normal. And also other crops like medicinal cannabis where we've been getting some very early very encouraging gains by treating seedlings. They're only treated briefly and they're only treated once in their lifetime. Again, we're not a grow light company. We don't build UV lights that are generic in their purpose and sell them. We're not building and selling germicidal UV lamps to kill things on leaf surfaces. We're developing treatments as a royalty-based licensable service. And that application in a seedling or a seed is applied briefly for a seed. It's a question of minutes. For seedlings, it's a question of hours into a few days. The treatments are complete and the plants are released in their normal growth cycle. And we're now moving that with seeds into crops like soybean as well. And we have a a team in Palmerston North in New Zealand who develop recipes. We have our AI team that is empowering the development of recipes in a more rapid cycling basis. And we also have teams in areas like the US where we have our agronomy team. And we have a team in West Sacramento who are also working on our seed treatment pipeline. So you've really gone beyond the borders of New Zealand. And I mean, you know, we're talking together now with, I think, a 10 hour time difference or something like that. So how does that work, you know, in a practical sense, um, kind of working across the globe from where you are? Well, I think as we're seeing on on our podcast today, uh, online tools matter. Knowing what a time zone is matters. World Time Buddy website is my friend often (laughs) to know what's going on three months from now with a a certain time zone. But I think New Zealand has probably always been a country where those of us who are in New Zealand understand that we're fortunate to live in a country like New Zealand with its natural beauty, with the things that New Zealand has to offer folks in their life. But also there is that element of having to work that bit harder to be connected to the world. That said, you know, we're talking an overnight flight of 11 hours to get from New Zealand to the west coast of the US. I've certainly spent a lot of time in these um, seven years or so of Biolimix history traveling, as have other team members. So that's certainly been something that's been important. Also, not just to start applying our technology, but to actually understand grower challenges. 
we've been a company that even when we were more New Zealand based in our first year or so of life, we've always been interacting with growers, talking with um, the big ag companies too, of course, but actually understanding what a KPI around yield increase really means and, and taking that to pieces so that we can be fully aligned with a grower or an ag chain stakeholders needs to actually add value to that chain and that place. So that's something that's been important to us to actually learn by doing, learn by talking, learn by standing in those lettuce fields in Salinas, standing in those Canadian medicinal cannabis producers facilities and actually understanding what's going on. That's been important to us. Yeah. And I I misspoke because we're actually 14 hours apart. So, you know, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that. But um, thank goodness. Yeah, it would it would be remiss of me. I mean, you mentioned the beauty of New Zealand and I've had the real privilege to visit a couple of times and it is an absolutely incredible country uh, with a with a, an amazing tradition in agriculture. It's a very, very important part of the economy in New Zealand and a very big part of the culture. So in terms of ag tech in the more general sense, I mean, obviously we're talking about Biolumic, but are there a lot of new startups? Uh, are there a lot of new technologies coming out of New Zealand given its situation? Yeah, absolutely. Ag tech is, is certainly part of the, uh, the engine room of New Zealand, where agriculture that's been very predominantly based off the dairy industry, milk powder, etc., but also uh, around specialty crops and fruit production, kiwi fruit and apple production have been big, uh, and, and wine, sorry, I should say, most importantly, um, have been big uh, export drivers for New Zealand. So that's always been there. And therefore, it's quite natural, particularly when you, you look at how we move what I was doing out of Massey and over to what became Biolumic. Massey itself is a a top 30 agriculture university in the world. And this focus on developing new technologies is important to New Zealand's present and future. And there are more ag tech startups popping up all over the country all the time. There's a much more of an established network, I think most of us would fairly say now, compared to say seven or eight years ago when Biolumic started. We had the great help of the BCC, now the factory. But since then, there are more startup programs, incubator programs, networks where a company with a great idea, with some good IP and a good team, most importantly, can get help and support and funding quite quickly. And then, of course, can start to look at um, potentially some of those overseas opportunities for their technology. So that has definitely been thriving over the last five, six, seven years, for sure. Yeah. And as you say, the great wine industry, which um, I must have been, I enjoy partaking in occasionally. Well, that um, actually took me to New Zealand in the first place, Adrian. I I was a postdoc in the UK working on my UV photobiology, thinking about the next steps. I'd also started teaching undergraduates, but I was invited by another UK expat to visit the South Island of New Zealand, where there's another university there, Lincoln, and they had a, a viticulture program running. But my colleague was actually a UV researcher himself. So they were interested at the time in... Uh, for those who do drink wine, uh, New Zealand has a, a great uh, Sauvignon Blanc offering and has this alleged characteristic qualities that make it very much a New Zealand Sauv Blanc. And part of what these guys were interested in, this is around 2008, 2009, was is one component of the unique specific nature of what makes a New Zealand Sauv Blanc so characteristically different and great the UV environment in New Zealand, um, it being significantly higher than it would be at an equivalent 
same northern latitude. And so I went to New Zealand to do three months of UV grape wine research. So I think at the time I got a bit of hassle from some of my colleagues. It looked like a bit of a jolly, go and drink some <laughs> wine, you know, allow some UV to shine on some grapes and look at the upside. But it was a very serious research project and it showed some interesting outcomes around what happens when you look at the specific additive effects of UV exposure onto grapes or onto a, a grapevine canopy. And we actually did go as far in that project as making with the, the micro VIN facility at Lincoln some bottles of Sav Blanc that had been made from a more highly UV exposed grape parcel or parcels versus one that hadn't. And so we actually ended up with some, I'll call it Chateau Wargent, uh, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, which had been UV exposed or not exposed. And there was very clearly a difference. And this was something that was also published at the time, that uh, UV is this ingredient that can change many aspects of, of food and beverage, composition, taste, flavor, quality, yield. So Jason, it sounds like you really are living the dream. Um, I'm going to make that 14 hour time difference work for me because it's early evening here in North America and I can justify going to the fridge and seeing if there is a nice, fresh, chilled uh, New Zealand Sad Blanc. But unfortunately for you, it's mid-morning, so you're going to have to wait a couple of hours at least. But listen, I want to thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. It's great to see you and interact with you. I would love to be doing this in person, and uh, hopefully before too long, I'll find the excuse to come down and, and see you all. But thanks very much. No, absolutely, Adrian. And uh, thanks for including me in the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Cheers. AgTech 360 is a product of North Carolina State University, SIRSA, the Center of Excellence for Regulatory Science in Agriculture, and the Southern IPM Center. This episode was produced by Kayla Pack Watson with host Adrian Percy and Center Director Dr. Denatia Seth Carley. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at AgTech360 and send us questions and comments to agtech360 at gmail.com. With AgTech 360, we take a 360-degree view inside emerging agriculture technologies that matter. Thanks for listening.